Jesus, make us whole again. We turn to you to define who we are. Who you want us to be. Because I am who you say I am. God, we love you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for sending your son to die on a cross for us. To make us whole, a new creation for you. Jesus, we love you. In your holy and precious name. was at a client's manufacturing facility this week and um, ended up going in the wrong door and so one of the employees was taking me through the, the manufacturing plant to the place I was supposed to meet and so we were chit-chatting I always try to make it a point to get to know people that are with me regardless of not where we're supposed to meet or not I believe in the God who makes these appointments and so you just got to roll with it however it comes and so we were just talking about life um, killing time or walking through this massive manufacturing facility and and he asked me uh, he's talking about his daughter and stuff and so you know I'm just letting him talk about his family he had one kid and he's really proud of her and you know she's um, doing the college thing and he's just just really just so excited, and, and he, he says, well, how many kids do you have? And I said, six, and his eyes got like about this big. You know, there was one time, you know, it's like six, that's nothing, but now, you know, if you got six kids, it's like, oh my gosh, didn't you know? You know, there's some sort of thing, you know, matter with you. you, you didn't your mama tell you how all this works or something? I mean, it, it's, it always cracks me up, uh, but, you know, I don't want to brag more than is is suitable you know michelle did the work for three of those children and uh, we got to raise those up and then we adopted three and uh, i want to tell you a little bit about the adopted ones we're proud of all six of them and we're blessed all six of them love jesus and are passionate about their relationship with christ um and that alone is a gift beyond anything that i can imagine that we have children who across the board love Jesus, and um, four of the six are married, and they're married to spouses who also love Christ, and it's just been amazing for us. And so we're very, very hopeful for the generations to come, even as we see this world go down uh, quickly, uh, that we've been so so blessed. But anyway, I want to talk about my three adopteds. Uh, it's a little bit difficult. People are like, they never can quite get it. Um, it's a wonderful story. There was a man named Isaac Waida. Uh, he uh, was in desiring to go to college, and so he started emailing churches to see if there was somebody that would sell necklaces that he and his siblings, his younger siblings, made by hand. And the way that they would make these necklaces is they would take advertising materials in the country that they lived. They live in Uganda, and they would cut them into um, extreme, acute 
angle triangles and they would roll up those extreme acute triangles to make different colors of beads, different size of beads, and then they put them in a, a schlack material, string them up, and sell them. Well, it, you know, there's a lot of people doing this because you're making basically something out of garbage. In Uganda, garbages you can find pretty well, but if people to buy them, not so much. And so he wanted to try a new um, market. So he starts with Churches A, and at the time I was serving at Main Street, so he was all the way to M. I was the first one to respond to him. And so I just, one line, email said, sure, send me the necklaces. I'd be happy to sell them with, to you, for you. And uh, so I was expecting the, the scam comes up. I don't know if you've ever gotten one of those scam emails, but, you know, it's like, well, da, da, da. And I, I have fun with the scam emails. And sometime when we have a little bit more time, I'll tell you about some of the fun that I've had with scam emails. I'm pretty proud of my creativity with the scam emails. But we'll, we'll go another time. So I was expecting to get, you know, the scam back. Why? Well, I heard nothing for a month. I was so disappointed because I was feeling particularly creative, you know, that week. And uh, about a month later, maybe five weeks later, a box shows up. It looks like it has been beat to absolute molecular, barely holding together. But this box shows up with my name on it. And it's obviously not from this country. And so I'm opening up, you know, did I get a bomb from another country? You know, so I'm opening it up really carefully, and there's this box of these necklaces. The shellac is stinky, and so it fills up my office with just this horrid smell. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy was serious. And so now I have hundreds of these necklaces to sell. So I told the story to my family at Main Street, and uh, they were gracious enough. They bought them all. Uh, very, very quickly, some took them to craft shows and stuff, told the story. And so total amount was like 375 bucks, something like that. So true to my word, I wrote a check for 375 bucks, sent it off to this Isaac Waida fellow. And uh, he was ecstatic. That paid for an entire semester of tuition, books, and lodging. Yeah, y'all are doing the math now. It's like, I just paid $375 for a physics book for my kid. You know, what? Yeah, so, um, uh, so this begins this relationship that ends up with me adopting all three of the kids and they becoming part of my, my family. And it's a wonderful story, and it's got lots of ups and downs and, and moves and forwards, um, but it all comes from really... Isaac's insistence on calling me dad because once I sent him that money back he started calling me dad and I emailed him back and I said dude I'm not your dad I'm the guy that's selling your necklaces for you happy to help out but I'm not your dad I mean for all I knew he was still a scam he was just really really good and I'd fallen for it you know but you know he could have been 40 had 12 kids you know and not be at college at all but uh, so finally out of desperation it's uh, really frustration because he just, he would not back off calling me dad. I, um, I got a friend of mine, some of you know him, his name is Mark Lauer, and so I, on Sunday morning I said, Mark, I need to go to Africa, a place called Uganda, and I don't want to go by myself, would you mind to go to Africa with me? And Mark, in a moment of insanity, said, sure. And so um, we went to Africa together, not knowing anybody. Uh, we had made arrangements through the International Mission Board to meet up with the uh, local International Mission Board missionary in the area. And, and so we did a week worth of missions. It was a phenomenal. Gave me this huge heart for what God's doing in Uganda. Just fell in love with the people. 
tons of stories to tell about that that week, but in the end, I met Isaac and his younger sister and his younger brother, and my heart was just crushed, wiped me out. And so I just said, you're part of my family. And so we adopted them. Um, it's a huge move for my family. Uh, we had this really cool house and a really cool subdivision, and my, you know, my three kids were there, but they, they agreed uh, to allow us to sell that house move from you know 2,000 square foot house to 900 square foot condo so that we could all go to Africa and be together as a family and there's just so much has happened and happened and happened it's just been a great blessing I got to stand with my daughter my African daughter at her wedding and you know y'all are very vanilla okay I'm just saying so imagine that to be exact opposite I felt like an LED light bulb I mean, there was no white anywhere, and I'm there. People are like whispering behind their hands. You know, they're, they call white people in, in Uganda mazungu. Mazungu, mazungu. I come to mazungu. It's like you don't know. I mean, come on. I mean, I, I, I would have to have plumage to be any more sticking out here. But what an incredible privilege it was to be part of that whole thing. And um, they're, they're, they're my family. And people always ask me, well, you know, well, did you bring them here? It's like, no. Um, well, why not? Aren't they your family? Yes, they're my family. Um, believe me, I got the bills. <laughs> you know, when stuff happens to this day, it's, you know, hey, Dad, um, I need some money. And, and so I'll send money because, you know, that's what dads do, right? You know, and, and so it's, it's, it's like normal, but folks are just scandalized because they're not here. They're there. Um, that's where their home is. That's where their people are. And so God used Michelle and me and Ryan and Alyssa and Emily, our three children, to bless them by making sure that they had a family because their parents were dead and their, their extended relatives had, had, had abandoned them. So they were children, homeless in, in Uganda. Um, so they had a family, had somebody to care for them and encourage them and love them. Um, but they didn't have to be taken from where they were at. They could stay there, and they have a passion to see their own country one to faith in Christ. They have a passion to see their own country come out of war and disease and devastation and to be what God created them to be, and that is something that I think is worth supporting and encouraging and, and furthering in every way uh, possible, and so we, we did it that way. And some of you are still, now you're thinking, oh, this was such a great story. Now it's just kind of got weird. And I, I understand. It's, believe me, there's no offense on my part. It's just, you know, I'm a weird dude, and so I do weird things. And, you know, just to, that's what God's done in me. But I wanted to share that story with you because we're going to begin this uh, look into Ephesians. And I hope that some of you, in fact, I hope all of you, to be honest, uh, took me up on my challenge to read the letter to Ephesus and and you've begun to let God really work in to weave into your hearts an understanding of what would allow for a church to avoid their candle being snuffed out. And the things that Paul gives in Ephesians are very practical things. They start off with a deep theological understanding of who we are in Christ. And I think the lyrics of the songs that we just sang just really speak to that point. And I was so encouraged to just be confessing through song the truths that we're going to be looking at uh, for these next two weeks in particular. Um, 
this Sunday and next Sunday. But as, as Paul goes on, he gives very practical instruction on how we are to be in Christ and what that relates to in our relationships with our spouses, in that relationship with our children, in our relationship with the spiritual authorities in this world, in our relationship with each other as fellow believers, in all of these very practical ways, he's giving us really great instruction as to who we are to be in Christ, because of Christ, through Christ. And so as we look together on this road, this road to recovery, a road to recovery maybe of things that we never had in the first place, God has blessed us with these really wonderful, practical pieces of instruction that we can take to heart if we choose to do so that will revolutionize us from the inside out. And that's really what God's design is for us, is that we are revolutionized from the inside out. In this world, we've allowed for the religious institutions of this world, regardless of what placards on the door, but the religious institutions of this world to abandon the reality that God works from the inside out and instead we've adopted an outside-in kind of philosophy. And that's not how God works. He doesn't need to. And he understands that really we can change everything about our outside. We can pretend to be everything that is not real and have our hearts, who we are on the inside, completely unchanged. It's really kind of a cool thing in our culture right now that this is becoming, once again, there's this wave of desire for authenticity. Now, we don't know what it means to be authentic, so we're searching after something we can't define. But there's this, there's this urge for authenticity and there's this desire for authenticity. And anybody that's found to be inauthentic is publicly thrashed. You know, they're, they're, we've, we've had this whole movement that is, that is targeted, particularly men, who have pretended to be one way, but behind the scenes, they're awful, wretched, terrible people. And they've treated people in awful, wretched, terrible ways. And so they have been outed and they've been publicly shamed. It's this desire to to have truth reign, even though we don't know what truth is and really don't believe in it. But here's the really cool thing about being a follower of Christ. We do know who truth is because it's not this thing, it's the person through whom everything that we experience came to be. Jesus Christ. That's Colossians. We're in Ephesians. But uh, there's this this great thing that we have that we can offer to people that are seeking it but don't know even what it is. But we've got to grasp it ourselves. And so these are the first steps on a road to recovery. And folks, you can either go on this road or you can stay where you're at or you can go the other direction. That's up to you. All I can do as your brother in Christ is point you in the right way. And to give you things that you can use by the power and through the unction and ability that comes through the Holy Spirit to allow you to experience the absolute best of God in your life today and tomorrow until you get to see him face to face. So I'm going to read with you uh, a few verses from Ephesians, the first chapter, I I pray that you follow along because I'm going to encourage you to respond from place time to time as I've done whenever I've been able to teach here. And so be ready. All right. Do we have that up here? We do. Good. All right. 
This letter is from Paul, who is what? What does it say? He's chosen by what? The will of God. So Paul, right off the bat, says, I am here not because I decided to be here, not because I wanted to be here, but because I'm chosen by God's will to be here. And anybody that knows the story of the man who was Saul knows that that's exactly how it went down. He's being completely honest right off the bat. He was actually working on persecuting Christ through killing his kids. He was working on persecuting Christ through imprisoning his kids. He was working on crushing the message of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul, who was Saul at the time, was doing. And then Jesus met him along the way. True. Knocked him right on his backside and says, Hey, isn't it difficult to do what you're doing? The biblical way is, isn't it hard to kick against the pricks? You know, like if you're out there in the cactus patch and you're just doing this kind of thing. And then he blinds him. And then he lets him be blind until he sends a terrified emissary who is a follower of Jesus Christ, who tells Jesus when he gets this message, hey, don't you know who this guy is? Like God needs to be informed. You know, this is not the guy for me to go visit, you know, at the hospital bed. You know, this is the guy, if you, once I say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, it's going to have me arrested. Jesus says, nope, this is what you're going to do. And so he goes, Saul is healed, he's given the name Paul, and he becomes a passionate advocate for the sake of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he gives us this, this confession right off the very line, first line. I'm chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to God's, what kind of people? Holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. Now I'm going to come back to this, but I just want to give this to you again. Um, <laughs> he's not creating a two-category situation. You know, I, I know there's some real just crummy people there in Ephesus, you know, so I'm writing to the holy ones, you know, you know who you are, you following me? He's writing to the people who are in Christ, because when we come to be in Christ, holiness isn't for those people that we love to venerate and don't want to be like, holiness is for every single one of us who are in Jesus, every one of us, every one of us. And so he's writing to all the people who are in Christ at Ephesus, everyone, because there's this expectation that if Christ is in us, that by the very nature of our sin being forgiven, of that revolution coming through their power and the presence of the Holy Spirit being begun, that we are holy. We're set apart because of what God did, just like Paul was set apart by the will of God. You're like, dang, he's not even the second verse yet. That's just how great God's word is. Verse 2. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. What a great blessing to be full of the gifts that come from God and have the presence of the peace that can only come from God. You know, we, we look through the lens of our own situation. We can't help to, but to do that. But we forget the lens of the situation that we read, particularly when it becomes reading history. This was not a peaceful time. This was a time of Roman peace, which meant that they ruled whatever. 
And so if you are impoverished, you're impoverished by their will. If you're enslaved, you're enslaved by their will. If you're freed, you're freed by their will. They ruled, period. This was not a democracy. And if you were not a Roman citizen, you had no input into it. You just had to deal with it. But in Christ Jesus, regardless of whether I was slave or free or citizen, whether I was poor or wealthy or a working class, surviving well, peace and grace comes through Jesus Christ. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with how many spiritual blessings? Every spiritual blessing. Y'all are doing great. Thank you so much. I mean, you've just taken through this. This is awesome. Who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God what? Loved us and what? Chose us. In Christ, very important, he loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. That ought to make you shiver right there. Verse 5. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing, to him, bringing us to himself through, Christ, through Jesus Christ. This is what, what? Who? He wanted to do. And it gave him what? Great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. Now, Paul loves run-on sentences. As I was preparing to teach this, I'm like, where am I going to quit? You know, it's like, golly, this is... So we're gonna, I think we're stopping right here, right? So um, I, I just want to share with you some really practical and very foundational theological truths that you need to know to get on the road. I'm, I mentioned the story of, of getting to, to meet Isaac and and Penny and Lionel, those are my three, our, our three adopted children. Uh, and the, the whole thing started because I knew some basic things. Now, I was wrong. I thought it was a scam. But I knew that if, if there was a genuine need, which there was, that because I was presented with that genuine need and I had resources to meet that need, that I was obligated by Christ to respond to that need. And so even though I wasn't smart enough to, by the power of the Holy Spirit to see all that in advance, I knew that if that was the case, that I was obligated. And so that, that blessing that I now have of having six kids, all of who love Christ and who are passionate about his kingdom, came through just a basic understanding of truth. So I began a road that did not go where I anticipated it, but still was, because it was started off on truth, has got me in a place of incredible blessing. And I expect many blessings yet to come because we're on that road. So I'm offering to you the very same thing. Here's just some things that you need to know that are theologically foundational some of you already know them. That's great. I'm just going to remind you. And then for some of you, you're like, I didn't know that. That's great too, because that means you haven't wasted your time coming on Sunday morning, right? So, uh, so let's, let's look at these things together. The first set of things is to know who we are. It's to know who we are. I know who I am. 
I'm not a bald, blinding guy who has, as his wife said, reached that age. Um, she reminds me about it all the time. I'd say, baby, you're only a couple of years behind, and I've got a good enough memory yet that when you get there, I'm, I'm giving it back to you. I'm telling you. But, uh, you know, that's not who I am. You know, I, I'm, I'm not a, an employee of a logistics firm. You know, I'm not the dad of six kids. You know, all those things are true about me, but that's not who I am. And we have struggles in this world because we're trying to find who we are through all sorts of things, through our family relationships, through our jobs, through how much money we have, how much influence we have, how many hits we have on YouTube, which isn't even a thing. Nobody hits anybody on YouTube, but that's what we talk about, and you're important if you've been hit millions of times on YouTube. We're looking for who we are. Well, Paul says in Christ Jesus, this is who we are, and we need to know it. First thing, and if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write this down. If you're not taking notes, I'd encourage you to write write them down because you won't remember 15 minutes after we're done here. It's just the way it is. I get it. I understand. I've been in your seat many, many times. First thing, simply this. I'm a saint designed for faithfulness. I'm writing to God's holy people, God's saints, some of your translations will say, in Ephesus, who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. Again, Paul wasn't writing to some segment of the church. Paul was writing to the church. It was assumed that if you belong to Jesus, you are a saint, you are God's holy people, and that you are faithful to him. That's basic. Now, Let's just have a moment of reality between me and you. I know that you are not holy all the time. And you know that I'm not holy all the time. I know that you're not faithful all the time. And you know that I'm not faithful all the time. Paul is not talking about some ideal, but he is talking about who we are in Christ. Every time I respond obediently to Christ... Listen to this. This is very important. Every time I respond obediently to Christ, I'm expressing the holiness that comes by his presence in my life. So I'm holy. Every time I'm obedient in response to the leadership of Christ, I'm expressing faithfulness in him. So I'm faithful. So in Christ, I'm both holy and faithful. Now, does that mean I'm always holy or always faithful? No, it does not. That's a lie. That's covered in 1 John, but that's a message for another time. All right? If you're curious, you won't get very long. It's very clear. Okay? But the reality is, who we are in Christ is that we are impelled to be obedient to him, which makes us holy and faithful. And so when we realize that, that this is who we are in Christ, then the urge of the Spirit within us drives us to be exactly that. And that's who we are. Second thing, I am blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Y'all don't know me very well, and uh, it's because I haven't been around. I'm, not a, I'm a very private person, which is really weird to do what I do, and, and my wife is actually a dyed-the-wool introvert, which makes it really weird for her to be part of this journey that we've been on, but she's been awesome and just incredible for decades now of just being that just very quiet person but being just so gracious as we've 
been obedient to Christ in our own life. Um, and one of the things that is consistent about me, and ask pretty much anybody that knows me, if you ask me how I am, I will always say I am blessed. I love it because it gives me the opportunity to share the gospel with people. And it also lets me know who really cares and who doesn't. Because really when we ask people how they are, we don't care. Hey, how are you? You know, I, I've said weird stuff. Like, somebody say, hey, how are you? And I say, I'm a dinosaur. Oh, good, me too. Really? Which kind of dinosaur are you? I mean, I'm serious. I'm not making that up. I just say obnoxious stuff like that because I know they don't care. So my, my favorite is I won't say anything at all. Hey, how are you? I won't say a thing. Fine. It's like I didn't ask you because I don't care any more than you care. No, I'm, I'm just because I really do care. But that's just how we are. We, are. we don't really want to have that kind of relationship that you know, like people like tell us I'm having a crummy day. And then they're like, what am I going to do? You know, if you say, hey, how are you? And somebody's saying, I'm wretched. I'm just having a worst day in my life or, you know, or maybe it's great and they're having a great day and they want to tell me all about it and I'm having a miserable day and then what am I going to do about that? I mean, come on, just let's be polite and say, hey, how are you? Fine. How are you? Fine. And then go our separate ways, not caring at all. But I say I'm blessed because I know that's who I am. I'm blessed. Now, that includes the bad days, which we've had some really, really bad days recently, but they've still been blessed because I've been blessed with how many spiritual blessings? Everyone, all of them in the heavenlies, every one of them. And so there's never a moment in my life that I'm not blessed, never. Now, there's some moments that it's much more fun to be blessed than other moments, right? Right, you with me? I mean, there, there's some moments, in fact, there's some hours, there's some days, some weeks, some months, some years even, where it's a lot more fun to be blessed than other, you know, I live in the same world you do, you know, get flat tires, have disappointing relationships, you know, struggles, all of those things. But it does not change who I am. I'm blessed. What kinds of things am I blessed with? Well, holiness, we've already covered that. Adoption, we're going to get to that. Redemption, those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, you already know that. That doesn't happen from back then. It happens right now, and it will happen when we get to see him face to face. And that's the hope of the gospel, right? Isn't that we just went through this turning over of belief. It isn't just that we're getting what we want, but it's when we get to stand before God, which is the hope and the desire of every spirit-filled Christian that their life is around what it is that I'm going to be able to enjoy forever and ever, not what it is I'm going to get to enjoy in my retirement, but what it is I'm going to get to enjoy forever and ever. That's our passion, and that we can only have that if that redemption covers us when we stand before the throne room of God and he judges us and says, you are my child, enter into the joy of your rest. I get, I've got goosebumps on goosebumps just talking to you about it. I mean, I live for that, that line, that phrase. You belong to me. You're a wretched piece of dirt because all guys are made from dirt. It says that in Genesis 1. But I loved you, and I redeemed you, and I've got reward for you. Even though you're pathetic, <laughs> enter into the joy of your rest. It's like, oh my goodness. That's where redemption comes. And I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing. And so I'm holy and blameless in God's sight. 
Even before verse 4 says, he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. I learned this really cool truth from my dad. Um, my dad was not a follower of Christ in his childhood nor his teen years. came to know Christ in his 20s. I'd already been born, was old enough to know the pre-Jesus dad and the post-Jesus dad. Lots of great stories about that too. But one of the things I learned about my dad, I'm not sure where he got it from. I, I just don't know. And I've, I've hunted, and it, it's just one of those God things. My dad always saw my mom and still sees my mom to this very day as the most beautiful girl in the world. And so um, my parents are in their 70s. You know, that, that 20s beauty is five decades ago, okay? But if I were to call my dad on the phone right now and patch you all in, and I'd say, hey, dad, who's the most beautiful girl in, my, in the world? My dad would immediately say, your mom. Now, she's never, was never Miss Universe, never Miss America, never Miss any of the states that she lived in, and she lived in almost all of them. But in dad's eyes, when he made that commitment to her as his spouse, that reality was changed. Okay? Are you grasping this? When Jesus rescued you from the power and penalty of your sin, you became holy and blameless in God's eyes. It isn't because he's unaware of your sin. It isn't because he doesn't want to transform you into the image of his son. Both those things are very true. But it is because of the incredible love that he has for you that he does not erase the reality of how we're doing, what we're doing, what we're thinking, but he sees us as we are because of his love. If you are even close to an emotional person, does that make you weak? Because God knows that you're not Miss Universe, Miss America, Miss whatever state you've lived in. He knows all your ugly thoughts. He knows your potty mouth. He knows all the things that you've done that have hurt him and hurt other people. And he's passionate about those things. But so great is his love for you he doesn't erase those things as realities but he sees you as holy and blameless in his sight because of the love of God in Christ that's who you are and much of the problem that we have in our relationships with each other whether it be inside the church or outside the church, comes from the reality that we have no idea who we are. And so we try to be something that we're not. We muddle along and do the best that we can. But we are not who we are in Christ because we don't know. So this is your first step. The second thing that we need to know is, how did I get here? How did I get here? Paul is incredibly clear about this. 
Verse 4, we got here through God's choice. Verse 1, we got here through God's choice. Verse 5, we got through God's choice. Verse 5 says God decided in advance. You hadn't been born yet. Your parents hadn't been born yet. Their parents hadn't been born yet. In fact, the world hadn't even been created yet. I love talking about this because it always blows people's minds, and I love just thinking about it. You know, we see time as infinite, and the scripture says time is finite. And we've begun to understand this even in our modern scientific driven, scientific driven culture that what we know as time will come to an end. Because how do we measure time? How do we measure time? It's not a rhetorical question. Seconds, minutes, hours, days, right? Years. And how do we know where the second minute, hour, days, years are? How do we know? Yeah, the sun and our rotation around the sun and rotation and planet and all those things. You know, you all know this. You all know this. And it's now widely accepted in scientific circles that at some point, they think billions of years from now, I don't think so, I think it's going to come a lot sooner than that, but billions from the years from now, our sun will explode and we'll get wiped out. And guess what? No more time. You following? Okay. So even if you are a complete atheist and you are here by some sort of, I don't know, cosmic accident, um, you can identify with this truth that time is finite. Is God finite? No, he's not. Some of you are like, trick question. No, not trick question. He's infinite. That's why he's God. And so he sees time is a complete thing. It is, there's a beginning and there's an end. And he knows when the beginning was because he did it. And he knows when the end is because he's going to do it. And we're in it. We can't see beyond it. And that the very idea that we have that there is such a thing as the infinite is, I think, one of many proofs that God has given to us that there is definitely a God, but that's, again, for another message. Time is something that he sees. And so at, when time became, because he spoke into existence, he knew that there was going to be this chubby little kid who was rejected by everybody that he had value in and yet would come to an understanding in a very childlike way that God knew him in all of his ugliness, in all of his lack of acceptability, and he loved him enough to send this dude Jesus who he had really no concept as a child as to what that was all about, but to die so that he could be loved forever and ever no matter what. And that chubby little kid in a corner at school because his teacher decided that she'd had enough with him surrendered his life in this really righteous prayer. One word, deal. That's how I came to faith in Christ. In a corner at school. Knowing because I'd just been told recently that God loved me even in my corner. And that all I needed to do was to surrender a life. And I had no idea what that meant. I was a little guy. But surrender my life to choose to follow him and receive the love that he wanted to give me. It was a free gift. And so I just said deal. And it was at that moment that a transformation happened that I couldn't do. 
The Holy Spirit came in and he started doing the work that only God does. But God knew that moment was going to happen back when he said, let there be light. And whatever your story is, or whatever your story was, or for some of you, whatever your story will be, God knew it in advance. People always get upset about it. What about free choice? I really want to answer that with, but I won't. I won't. You know, folks, we have choice, period, because God gives this to, to us. So throughout Scripture, we have examples like Paul and Moses, both of whom told God to stick it. It's not in the King James Version, but you get my imagine, right? They did. And God's like, oh, man, I really had big plans for you. And, man, I really wish I'll have to go find somebody else. No, God said, hey, listen, I'm God. You're doing this. End of story. Why? Because he's God. Okay? Then we have other stories. Like this dude comes up to Jesus. Jesus, God in the flesh, the one who dies for the sin of the world. And he says, what must I do to be saved? And, and Jesus says, I'm shortening the story. There's more to the story. But Jesus says, go sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And that dude's like, nah. <laughs> Not up for that. And he walks away. So which is it? Do you have free choice? Do you not have free choice? You have no choice at all unless God gives it to you, period. So to some, God gives the ability to walk away. To others, he says, no. I will drag you into glory because I love you. And to all is given that ability. Scripture is very clear about that. All of us. Some of us just come more willingly than others. I'm chosen. I'm adopted. Which means that we have to give up this American idea that we are somehow or another worthy of God moving the universe for us. No, God moved the universe, it says right here, because of his own will. He chose to do that. And it gave him what? How much pleasure? Do you remember? Great pleasure. Some of you are like paying attention. Yes! It gave him great pleasure to move the universe so that we could be loved, which he did. And so he adopts us into, into his family. And that adoption becomes the reality upon which we now relate to each other. We're all adopted kids. Kind of makes us very special, not special at all, right? <laughs> you know, it's weird. But that's who we are. That's who we are. That's how we got here. We didn't get here through our merit. Paul's going to talk about that in chapter 2. We didn't get here through our, our ability to do something. We got here because God said, I'm going to adopt you in my family, and here's the way, the means by which you are able to do that. Here is this great gift. So we praise God. He says, verse 6, for the glorious grace he has poured about on us who belong to his dear son. We're gifted with every spiritual blessing. We know that we're blessed no matter how bad of a day it is, no matter how difficult of a time it is, that our blessing is the blessing of God. And so this glorious grace, this gift 
Grace means, it's, the word is charis, which means gift. Sounds a lot more biblical if we call it grace rather than gift. And gift kind of sounds mundane. This, there's nothing mundane about this gift. This is incredible. It's the gift of forgiveness of sin. It's the gift of restoration of hearts that are absolutely dead. It's the adoption of the family. It's being made holy. It's the God of the universe looking at us and not seeing the saggy elderly person that we are, but seeing the one who's holy and blameless because of Christ Jesus. What a gift. And so what do I need to do? What do I need to do? If these things are true, which they are, what, what do I need to do? What is it that I'm supposed to do? Well, Paul, through the rest of the letter, gives lots of great examples of specific things. But when we know who we are, we kind of know what we need to do, don't we? I'm Michelle's husband. She's right up here in the front row. Beautiful lady. Most beautiful girl in the world. Dad taught me that. I don't care if you don't think so. It doesn't matter to me. It is true. She's a coffee lover. So what do I need to do in the morning? I bring the coffee lover her coffee. Nobody sent me an instruction book that said, you know, point seventy-seven a subtext one. Wife coffee lover, wife not morning person, bring wife coffee in the morning. How did I know to do it? Well, I'm her husband. I love her. And so that was a very natural thing to do. Now, drinking coffee with her, it took her 22 years to get me to do that. It's a little bit more resistant to that, like a lot. And she knows I'm not telling anything out of, out of turn. She knows this. But even that I knew to do because there was this distance in our relationship that I was seeing. I'm, I'm a morning person. I love to be at it. You know, 4.50 in the morning is like time to get going. And, and, you know, she's lovely in the morning, which is amazing for somebody that's not a morning person. Normally morning people are defined by their grumps in the morning, right? Um, but she's really lovely in, in the morning, and, which doesn't make any sense to me. But 7, 8 o'clock, especially when we were younger, Later than that, that was fine by her. And it's like, man, if I'm in bed at 7, I must be sick. I mean, <laughs> or the world is just like goofed up and, and it's just crazy. Um, but I saw this distance between us. And so I was talking to the Lord about it. And I said, God, you know, what do I need to do? I'm this woman's husband and there's this distance. And so he gave me this really spiritual direction. He said, change your schedule so you can sit down and have a cup of coffee with her in the morning. I'm like, What? That's boiled bean juice. That's nasty. God goes, I know, it won't kill you. Studies say it'll actually clean out your arteries. No, he didn't tell me that. <laughs> so it's been almost eight years ago now. Rearranged my schedule. Said, babe, um, I'm going to have a one cup of coffee with you in the morning. There's no diamond ring, no house, no brand new car that I could have given would have been a better gift than that. How did I know to do that? I'm her husband, and I love her. God told me to. 
the things that he'll have you to do will be quite natural, even if uncomfortable. And that first year or two of coffee, I was gagging it down. I'm not going to lie. You know, I'm, I'm used to it now, even enjoy it now. It took a while. You might get in some things that God tells you to do because you know who you are. You're like, really? But he'll make it okay. And now I look forward to that time where we just sit and sometimes say nothing and just drink our coffee together in the morning. I've normally already been up for an hour, maybe an hour and a half or two. But it's our time together because I know who I am. You, brother, sister in Christ, if you will grasp who you are and you know how you got there, you'll begin to know what to do. So we're in a very short time of response. This isn't one of those times that, you know, I'm, we're going to drag on, but I really want it to be a worship experience for you. For some of you, you're, you're freed in a way that you never thought possible because things that you didn't know are now have been revealed to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it's going to be your time to rejoice. For others of you, you're convicted because you're behaving exactly opposite of who you are or who you claim to be. And you know that. And so this is your time just to go before the Lord and say, God, please forgive me. He will do that. And he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's in 1 John 2 as well. 1 John 1, but it's there. And there may be some here who've never surrendered their life to Christ, who've never prayed that spiritual prayer that I did, deal, I'm yours. If you promise to love me no matter what, if you look at me through the eyes of Christ, I didn't know this at this time, so when I found it out, I was like, wow, that's what God meant. And you'll see me as holy and blameless. That's a deal. I'm in for that. If that's you, Make that decision right where you sit right now to become a follower of Christ. If you need some more help for that, I'll be here. I'll be happy to do that. It would be a privilege. But if a little chubby kid sitting in the corner because his teacher had had enough of him can have his life revolutionized in the schoolhouse, you can have your life revolutionized wherever you sit in the church house. Would you stand as we have a time to respond?